show. Are you ready to get naked? Welcome to the Naked Vibe Show. I'm Kimberly Kane. I was thinking about the idea of what makes a good man, and I don't think there's an exact profile for that. I think there are some characteristics that show up in good men. And based on some things that I've heard recently, I think that men are hungry for mentors, not to help them become good men, as much as to help them bring out the characteristics that are already within them, knowing that they are good men. My father was such a mentor. And I shared with you in the last episode that he passed on from this world last year. And I miss him terribly, as do so many people that he loved and mentored, some from their teenage years well into adulthood. When he passed, I heard from more than a few people, your dad saved my life, or your dad saved my son's life. And he certainly helped and mentored plenty of women as well. And he had a heart for lifting women up which I think is definitely one of the characteristics of a good man. One of the things that I was able to do in my coaching practice was to have some mastermind groups, some small gatherings for men, where dad would join me to share some of his wisdom, some of his life experiences. And I recorded some of these mastermind gatherings called Conversations That Matter. And I want to share one of those with you because I think there's a lot that you can take away from his perspectives on business and relationships and how to bring your leadership skills forward. My dad had the exquisite combination of being a very masculine man who was also very tender and very compassionate and caring and open-hearted towards other people. He had a true joy of life about him and laughed so easily and brought so much laughter and joy to other people. In this discussion, we touch into some of the ways that men can bring those parts of themselves forward and greatly enhance their leadership skills by doing so. One thing that I so appreciate about him and that I believe you'll hear, in this gathering, he exemplifies another mark of a good man, which is that as a leader, he takes a backseat to me and allows me to lead this group. And though he has far more experience, this is one of the ways that he helped me learn. This was recorded live in the room informally, so you'll hear some echo and you'll hear some noises and things like that in the background, but hopefully those won't be too distracting from the discussion. And for their privacy, I've edited out the discussion from the other men who were part of the mastermind. So let me introduce you to Dean Brown. It's kind of amazing what happens to us after we get married and get a little older and we begin to look at life differently than the way we did when we were out there in college and all of these things. And we're beginning to be more serious about life because we see how much our life touches the lives of other people and what a difference that makes. Mm -hmm it does put a responsibility on us and we want responsibility it's part of what makes us who we are okay we're willing to take that and do those kind of things that's interesting that you said that too because just to give you a little insight on what it was that 
prompted me to create this to begin with is that I enjoy creating experiences that ignite creative genius in others. And what I realized is that I specifically enjoy igniting creative genius in leaders. You know, John, you mentioned that you like creating new things. And I find that people who continually expand and create new things in their lives and are willing to step out and reach into the unknown, this is what helps all of us become the highest, most excellent selves that we can become. Because there are plenty of people who are willing to do the same thing day after day and don't want to step into the unknown because there's a lot of responsibility there and there's a lot of fear there. After all, we don't know what's over there. So most people need to know what's over there before they'll step into it. Leaders are willing to say, I have no idea what's over there. Let's roll. I'm going to step into it and we'll find out when we're there. We'll learn how to fly the plane after we've taken off and we'll make it happen. When I talk about leaders, I'm talking about people who are willing to step up with their whole selves. Business and personal, this is a blend. It's not that, well, this is business you know, so we'll do things that are personally hurtful to others or personally unethical because it's just business. It's never just business because people are in business, so that's personal, right? So it's always personal in business. It's yin, yang. It's masculine, feminine. It is all of these energies that come together and leaders really understand how to become an integrated whole. I am interested in masculine leadership I've realized through my own leading and coaching over a lot of years mentoring people, I've had to ask myself, why is it that men keep showing up on my doorstep to talk about leadership and to talk about these things? And I thought, there's my unknown. That's what I'm supposed to step into because it just keeps coming to me. What I've recognized is that we need more masculine leaders who understand how to help women step into their leadership. There are many women who believe that they can step into their leadership and into their personal power, if you will, on their own. And that is not true. We cannot do it without you. And we're in a very interesting time in our lives and our culture as a whole where we kind of don't know what to do with this. Men sort of don't know what to do with women leaders, and women don't really know what to do with their leadership because a leader looks masculine. And so they step into it in this masculine way, and then men are like, but you're a woman, so that's very masculine. I don't know what to do with that, and it's all this political correctness. And it gets a little odd. So I'm wanting to facilitate conversations that help men understand how to better help women and that help men understand how their masculine power is a gift for all of us as opposed to a competition. And I don't know anyone who is more qualified to talk about integrated leadership than Dean Brown. Because I recognize as I step out in my own leadership and I lead others and I lead men, where did I learn most of that? I learned most of it from him because I grew up with a mentor in life and business. I've had a mentor for a lifetime 
who is a fully masculine man, but who can embrace the feminine skills, if you will, if we want to put them in those terms, which are the receptive skills, which is really challenged in our culture right now with technology, especially so listening skills. So I wrote down a couple things that I want to tell you about him. Dean has not only mentored me, but literally thousands, thousands of people in his lifetime. And I've been fortunate enough to have the kind of leadership that he offers, plus the longevity of this kind of leadership. So that's why I thought I need to bring this to the table for other people. He is a successful entrepreneur and a business owner. He's been a spiritual leader even longer than that. He was a successful husband for 51 years. And a lot of people talk about that as a number, that, that when they reach the number, that means it's successful. It's not the number that makes it successful because there's plenty of people obviously living in marriages that go a long time, but there's nothing happening in the marriage. I had a unique perspective of seeing what this marriage looked like. So even though we've lost my mother and his wife, I was able to see how empowered she was as a woman, how happy she was as a woman, and what kinds of things he did to create a household full of women, my sister, me, and my mother, who are happy, empowered women who are here to embrace life, to take risks and step out with challenges, but also to welcome others. We learned so much of this from him. So he can show us what a successful marriage looks like. And I really believe that we are, are desperately in need of that these days. Um, and then on top of that, he continues to reinvent himself through all the seasons of his life. I'm <laughs> always amazed at how he continues to expand, to learn and to grow and to allow me to lead him as well. He's very open and receptive. So a lot of wisdom to offer tonight, and I've put some questions together that I want him to be able to take a look at and mainly to talk about some of the listening skills that I think that we're all really in need of. And before I go into that, let me let you respond and talk about why you were interested in doing this. Well, uh, I don't know. I guess sometimes we have certain things that really, from childhood, that mean a lot to us. And it's the way we find our path in life and what we really want to do. Some people find it in sports. Some people find it in medicine, science. They're very uh, into that. We find somebody else who tinkers around with things like their dad gives them an old car. And I've had friends tell me that their dad gave them an old car and they tore it down and rebuilt it and stuff like that. And, and that helped them to become engineers. So I guess when I was a, a very young boy, I, I kind of liked to be up on stage. And my mother told me one time when I was about five or six years old, my sister and me, if you'll help me get the work done today, we'll go up to the church this afternoon. They're going to have a children's day, and they're going to have plays, and maybe you all can get a part. So I went up to that place. And, uh, adults sometimes, have you ever been to meetings where people just hover and hang around and talk and nothing ever gets done? You wonder, well, when is it ever going to start? And I was really getting antsy and thinking, this is ridiculous. And so I went up to the woman that was leading this and I said, I came up here today to get a part. And if I'm not going to get one, I'm going home right now. And I was about five or six years old. <laughs> so these people got off their duff and, and got the meeting going. And so I got a part. And it wasn't much. I allowed about a little four or five line poem to say before a crowd of people. But 
I really enjoyed that. And then when I was in high school, I started doing uh, what we call declamations then, uh, kind of a forensic team, you know, debate and stuff like that. And, and I followed through on that when I went to college. And I had a man come to me one day, one of our professors, and he said, Dean, I like the way you speak. You've got a talent for this. What would you think, would you let me be a mentor to you and coach you? And I mean, it was like a whole world opened up to me. I said, absolutely. So I got on the forensic team and he coached me and I was very grateful for that. But anyway, the thing that changed my life was I was newly married. I lived in Camden, Arkansas. I was with the Southwestern Bell Telephone Company. I was the, my first management job. I was the manager of a small group of towns in South Arkansas. Really a nice job. I mean, you go down to the office and play big shot, you know, and get out and go to these other little towns and go home to your wife at night and have a little girl that was tottering around. And one Monday morning, my secretary came in to me and she said, your minister's out here to see you. And I thought to myself, oh, what the heck is he coming in for, you know? What does he want from me? You know, I couldn't imagine. He came in and sat down and he said, Dean, I have something I want you to do. He said, we've got a, an 11th grade Sunday school class that is a group of incorrigibles. And he said, they have run about three or four teachers off. And last Sunday, a woman left in tears before the class was even already started. And so he said, I want a man to come in there and take charge of these kids. And I said, but Dr. Bagley, I don't know anything about the Bible. You know, I've been a Christian all my life, but you know, just in name only, so to speak. Well, I lived a you know, pretty good life as a good boy, but all that stuff, my parents insisted on that. But I said, I'll think about it. So I thought about it. I said, why not? So I went in that Sunday, and I, more, I, I had made up my mind more than anything else to have a very good talk with these kids about who they were, what they were there for, and why it was serious. And so I went in, and I told them, I said, I know about your reputation. And I said, I know that really, though, you're a good bunch of kids. But I want to tell you, I'm going to be your teacher. And I know you've run teachers off. There was one left last Sunday in tears. I will tell you this. You're not going to run me off. I may be the last one standing, but I'll still be here. You may be gone, but I will be here. And I expressed to them that this is the Lord's house. And there's a responsibility you have when you come here to act accordingly, the way your parents would want you to, and the way you should in a setting such as this. I'll give you all a chance to visit before the class begins. But once we start, we're going to be serious. And if any of you start talking, I will stop right then and look at you and wait until you get through. And I'll make you uncomfortable. Well, they looked at me with their eyes big and they wondered if he really meant this. So sure enough, they tried me out. And every time I just stop, wait, look at them, you know, never really say, be quiet over there, anything like that. And they would, you know, start setting down. Well, what happened was they really enjoyed it. I told them I respected them. We'll have fun together. And so after that year was over, I got to be personal friends with them. So they asked me if I would stay with them through their senior year, and I did. And I loved it. I loved working with young people. So that really started me to finding a way in which I could do something to help other people. And I just read a quote from Albert Schweitzer just yesterday that says, it's not so much that we should think of success, but that we become a person of value. Now, when you think about that, person of value. What does that mean? It means that somehow we make ourselves feel worthy ourselves of what we're doing and who we become so that we in turn can give something to someone else. So I started my career that way in teaching and I've never loved anything that I've done outside or anywhere else as much as I have.
of doing inspirational and motivational type speaking and trying some way to tell other people, young men such as yourself, the kind of person you are and the kind of gifts you have and what you can help yourself to become as you begin to reach higher and higher plateaus. And you will feel more worthy as time goes on because you see what you're doing that touches the lives of others. Now, what has happened, I taught for 28 years young people in our church. They're doctors now, they're lawyers, they're mothers, they're fathers. And when I think about all the lives that they have touched, because, you know, you throw a pebble in the water and it spreads and it touches other lives. And so that's really what all of us are all about. So to spin off of that, recognizing how you wanted to be there and step up and help other people, how do you believe that your skills as a listener have contributed to your success in business? Let's start there. Well, I was in the investment business for many years. And I think what we all recognize, and and you're in the real estate business, and you're in technology, and you're a musician, but our lives touch other people's lives. And there's a, a habit that all of us human beings, especially speakers, have sometimes, that we'll hear someone else talking, and we get an idea, and we have a tendency to jump in there before we lose that idea, and maybe cut them off. But when you're really trying to help other people, you need to listen to them so you can understand what they need, what they want in their life. For instance, if you go to your doctor and he starts talking before you even had a chance to tell him where your pains are, then he's not going to really know how to treat you, is he? Now, he will ask you some questions in order to help you to better understand where you're going. Well, that's what we as real estate people and what we as investment people Whatever thing we may be in, especially if we are working with people, and most of us will. So in business, that will make you a more successful person because you're willing to hear what other persons are talking about. And you become intuitive so that a lot of times you've heard the story before. But on the other hand, you wait and let them tell it because they may put a little different spin on it. I will tell you one thing that is a, a trap there is that sometimes you will have people that will talk on and on and on and tell you their story over and over again. And I once took a course in how to help people in grief. I worked in a crisis center for a while. And one of the things that psychologists told us is that sometimes people will tell you about their problems, and what they're really doing is they're lying down in the floor. They have a rope around your neck, and they're trying to pull you down to where they are. So you have to learn to recognize that so that you don't get trapped in that sort of thing. But I think listening in business and whatever we do helps us to be able to become people that are more professional and certainly learn how to help people. Because really, that's the business we're all in. Do you find that, as a general rule, that men have greater difficulty stopping and being completely and fully receptive? Well, uh, you mean over women, perhaps, maybe? Yeah. Maybe in some cases. I'll, I'll say it from this standpoint. Men have a tendency to feel that we know a little bit more than women do, especially about the world, especially about business, especially about professions. Now, why is that? It's simply because long years of history, we are the ones who've been the warriors. We're the ones who go out, you know, and bring home the meat from the standpoint of the cavemen, club something to death, bring it home for our family to eat, that sort of thing. And so consequently, we have this kind of a mindset that men are the ones who take the main leadership role. And consequently, we know more. So therefore, maybe we have more of a problem, especially listening to women. Because we start out with the mindset, perhaps, 
why am I listening to you? Because I already know more than you do. And if we're not careful, we will treat our wives that way. And we'll treat our daughters that way. So we have to be careful about that. But at the same time I say that, I do know women who sometimes you can't really listen to them because they chatter too much. That's the thing that kind of bugs us sometimes. You know, I've had some women clients. It's hard to listen to them because they get off on these trails and they don't know where they're going. So somehow you have to figure out a way to bring people back where you want to go. But we have to be careful about doing that. So I'd say in some ways it's kind of a catch-22, Kim. Mm -hmm. Uh, It depends a lot on our personalities as a man and the way we view women or women the way they view us. And sometimes it's not like they're, we all have our problems with these. And I think what Kim's trying to do is to help us all to see that really our value as human beings is the same. And how do we, as she's talking about, make ourselves better? You know, it's amazing how I recently read how women now are getting more bachelor's degrees, more master's degrees than we are. And in a way, there may be some ways in which we kind of fear that. I hope that gives some insight on what you're asking here. Yeah, it really does. There are different communication styles that women and men have. Culturally, if you go back to our origins, man as the warrior, man as the hunter-gatherer, the one who goes out and kills the food, protects the tribe, and woman as the one who takes care of the inner space. A lot of times it presents real challenges when we communicate with one another because we're not quite talking about the same thing. This is a perfect place for a break in the conversation to listen to a song from the archives. This is Frankly Scarlet with Something Left Unsaid. You'll always hurt me. Choosing the flavor of the day 
stare at the floor until you demand my love. Sweat like a boss, it's not something I can. I can't just turn on the fire. Can't stop this flood of emotional cash in my wealth of devotion. And there's always something left unsaid. That was Something Left Unsaid from Frankly Scarlet, the duo of my sister Kelly and me. I'll post a link for that song in the show notes for this episode on NakedVibes.com. Naked Vibes. So in business, what has been one of the best methods that you found? And I understand that it's different with different people because we're all individuals. But when you have situations, when a woman, for instance, is a chatterer and a storyteller in a very feminine way of wanting to talk about all kinds of things where the male, the masculine wants to get down to business, be very linear and handle these things. How have you found best to deal with that situation, to massage that situation, if you will, to honor her and at the same time to use your masculine skills to hunt, gather, make this happen. Yeah. Well, that's a handful. We've all experienced that and we've had to deal with different people. It's not always women that do that, that chatter too much. It's men also. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you found that yeah. same thing. I imagine younger men especially find that a lot of times because you run into men my age that have been there and they think they know more than you because obviously you're a lot younger. So they kind of put their experience on overwhelming you. That happens. I think that, again, the technique of listening is important. Uh, one of the things that if you're in a position of leadership, though, you really have to keep in mind that you're the one who should guide the conversation because they came to see you. You're the professional. So you want to be the one that guides it, and you don't want to let other people take control. And you will find people sometimes that they want to take control. The next thing you know, you've lost control, and they're the ones that are leading the whole thing, and you've lost control. That can happen in many ways. But uh, you listen. But on the other hand, uh, if someone's getting all far-fetched or something, whether you're holding a meeting or anything like that, you have to say something. You have to maybe kind of interrupt sometimes and say, okay, uh, why don't we get back more? You had asked a moment ago, maybe you pick up something they've said. and You said a moment ago that you needed such and such. Let's get back and talk to that. And it's kind of like that you're continuing to stay in control, but you're getting a little annoyed. But you can't let that show in your body language or in your face. And so that's kind of a skill that you have to work on sometimes. I don't know exactly how to frame that or to phrase it in such a way that you're completely clear. And we're going to get into a conversation later, and maybe some of you all can respond to some of these things you've heard us say. But 
to try to stay in control of the conversation because, and you want to know ahead of time, if you have a client that's coming, if you can know something about them or the person you're working with, as in your case, Brian, if you can know something more about them in a way to kind of maybe in your own mind um, rehearse a little bit on how you're going to handle this situation or if you know something about that person. And I think we'll be talking a little bit more about intuition later and how you can become, perhaps you're working on this now, kind of an intuitive person that can read other people's body language. You can tell a lot about people by the way they look at you, the way they respond to you, the way they squirm in their chair or sit or whether they're interested. If you find out you're losing their interest, then you want to maybe stop and ask them a question in order to get them to focus back on you. So you brought up intuition, and often you hear the phrase women's intuition. And so people kind of naturally think of women as being more intuitive, but that really is not true. Intuitive skills can be seen as being a little bit more feminine. So it's easy to frame it as women's intuition. But the healing professions have typically been, until not that many years ago, have been male. So men have been doctors, men have been therapists and psychiatrists, the listeners. And then if you look at leaders, tribal leaders, chiefs, you know, going all the way back, these are people who had to intuit and listen and understand what's going on with everybody, even up to the point of making sure that the tribe survived. There are things that they had to know and intuit and feel and be able to listen to the earth even in a different way than we understand now in order to keep everybody safe. So I would be interested to know how you believe that you've used your intuitive skills in leadership, maybe even more specifically, can you think of a time when you used your intuition and because you listened to it, as opposed to your thinking mind, that there was a good outcome. And at the same time, a time where you maybe didn't listen to your intuition and it didn't turn out so good and you knew that if you had listened to that voice. I can think of two instances. One of them is a, an instance that really changed my life and made me so much more aware of oftentimes the pain that people are in and we sometimes fail to recognize it because we're not intuitive enough. I think, first of all, I'd say that intuition is something that we all have, but so many times we do not act upon it because we don't trust our intuition that much. But as we sometimes get older and have some of these experiences, which you all, I'm sure, have had some already, and as you go along, you'll have more of them. But the first one I recall was when I, I was with Merrill Lynch a number of years, and I was coming back to my office, and I was driving along out on Beltline Road close to the airport. And then that was just fields out there. It was just nothing. And I saw a truck over on the side of the road as I was going this way, and I saw a man walking around with a yellow hard hat on. And I thought the guy was in trouble, and I didn't see that there was any logo on the truck or anything. And so first intuition I had was, that guy needs help. But I was debating within myself, and I went on, and I slowed my car down, and I kept thinking, I have to go back. And I literally pulled off on the side of the road and thought for a moment what I should do. Then I thought, what the heck? If nothing's wrong, I, it's okay. So I turned around, drove back up, and stopped out on the side of the road where he was, got out of my car and went over, and I said, are you broken down and need some help? 
And I looked at the truck then, and I saw it was a telephone truck, and then I recognized he probably didn't. And I also saw that the wheel was in a low place in the earth. It wasn't broken down at all. And he said, no, I'm fine. Well, I felt sort of foolish. So I said, I started to leave, and I said, it's really a nice day, isn't it? You know how we talk about the weather every so often. And I looked up at the sky. It was really blue and beautiful, wonderful spring day. So he says, well, it may be for some, but it's not for me. You know, one of the things that you can also do when you meet people like this, you can learn how to listen to what they're saying, listening again, and then ask them a question. He piqued my interest, and I said, why not? Then he told me that that very morning, his wife had left him. He began to tell me about the financial problems they had, that she just couldn't do it anymore. Later, he told me that he was planning that morning, going out, committing suicide. And I talked him out of it. And I said to him, well, that's one way of solving your problem, but it's not the best one. It's not the only alternative you have. So we talked about his family, his brothers, his sisters, his mother, and what he would do to their life if that would be the decision he made. And I gave him some ideas on what he could do to change that mindset. And I asked him to call me that night. Well, no, I asked him if I could call him that night. He gave me his telephone number, and I called him about 10 o'clock, no answer. Called him 10.30, no answer. Finally, at 11 o'clock, I called him again, and he answered the phone in a very weak little voice. And I told him who I was. He said, oh, you're that man that stopped by today. Talk to me, weren't you? I said, yes, I am. And I've often thought about that. I had not made that decision to go back. Then another time that I did this, Kim, was I had moved back from Camden, Arkansas, and I left there to go back to Little Rock. And one day I had a secretary, and if you told her your name was uh, Johnson, she would immediately think it was something like a hand filter or something like that. She couldn't get it right, you know. Long story short, I finally had to get rid of her. It's the only person I could find. <laughs> but one day I was in my office really busy. She came in and said, there's a couple out here that wants to see you. And I said, well, who is it? And she told me some name that was not even close to what their name is. <laughs> and I thought to myself, well, I at least ought to get up and go out there and see who it is. But I told her, I said, well, they don't have an appointment with me. I thought it was just somebody trying to sell me something. So I told her that I didn't have time to see them. It turns out it was one of my dear friends that I'd worked with down in Camden. He and his wife had come by to see me to tell me that they were moving to San Diego, California. And I later found out who it was. And to this very day, it's still, I feel, humiliated because that drove a wedge between us. And I, I called them in San Diego and I apologized and I told them I was so sorry. His wife was receptive to me and accepted my apology and, and my forgiveness. But he was cold to me. And we never have. I've never been able, I'm sure, to this day. He probably thinks I am one terrible SOB. That hurt. And yet, I had the opportunity. All I had to do was go on my intuition, get up from my work, and go out there and see who that was. So that was a big mistake. But my intuition told me that I should have done it. So guys, listen to your intuitions. At least, don't just throw them away because there's something about us in our makeup that tells us things. It's a higher being because, remember, we're made this way. We have the DNA in us that our Father, our God does, regardless of what we call God or anything like that. It's part of who we are. And oftentimes, these higher things that call us to do things, we're not really giving into them when we can actually learn how to use those to benefit ourselves, the benefit of others too. One was good, mm -hmm. one was bad. Mm -hmm. 
we still culturally have a fear of opening to the unknown. And that's the unknown. I mean, this is not factual data that we have that says newsflash, here's something you should do. Your friend or the telephone worker may be about to commit suicide. You need to get up and go now. It's not a memo that comes in like that. So we're always struggling with the idea that we could look really stupid, you know, if we follow something like that. It really requires a lot of courage. It requires leadership to be able to step into the unknown. Can you talk a little bit about what you think specifically would be the fears that men have of opening to this kind of mysterious knowledge that we come by, that we kind of all know we have, but to really relying on it and to, instead of shoving it over there and acting like it's just something kind of kind of silly or foolish, but that it is an actual skill, it is a sixth sense that we have that we could be using to a much greater degree. What do you think specifically are the fears that men have to opening their minds and hearts to this power? Well, that's a pretty difficult question. I think all of us might look at that a little differently, but... Uh, one of the things that we always want to do is we definitely want to appear masculine. We're afraid of, I guess you'd say, feminine side of ourselves. It's almost like we think of it as being a weakness. And therefore, it goes back to the things that we were talking about earlier, that we think of ourselves as warriors and people who are leaders, but our leaders is more the warrior, the general type, the military guy. You know, I was in the military, and I've seen the military mindset. In fact, I had a conversation with one of my friends not too long ago. He's an older man. He's a retired colonel. And I made a statement to him. Well, I can understand how you feel that way because you're a military. And the idea is that military, especially those guys, the Marines, and people that have been in there a long time, they want to appear that they have a coat of armor on them that nothing can penetrate. We don't want to show any emotion. We don't want to show too much feeling. You know, it's only recently, and, and your generation has come along, that we've actually taught men that it's okay to cry. Roger Staubach could stand up in Texas Stadium when he gave a eulogy for Tom Landry and break down and choke up three or four times because he loved Tom Landry so much. Now, I don't see that as a weakness. I see that as a strength, that someone is able and willing to do that to show others even little boys. It's kind of a thing that we've held ourselves back because of the fact that we're afraid. Now, all of us, I think in every walk of life, men and women, we have certain fears. And probably we won't ever get over all of those. But part of becoming a leader and becoming a successful person, I think, and a person of value is to be able to move out of that and discontinue to have fears about who we are and our own worth and that we can be tender to other people. Because I will tell you guys, you have your children older, you're, you two are young fathers, is to learn how to be tender with your children and with your wife and to show your tender, loving side and not always your authoritative, more the disciplinary type. I grew up in a home where my mother was the one that taught me love and tenderness. My father, on the other hand, was who taught me to be uh, authoritative, to be a disciplinarian and he was so much that way that as a young man growing up, I was determined that I would not be the same kind of way. 
And I saw a change in him over the years on how he, in some ways, he saw especially his son pulling away from him until the day that I went into the military, was drafted, went into the Korean War. My father was just, he had had a brother that was killed in World War II, and he could, all of a sudden, the visions of his son having to go off to fight a war. What might happen, I might never come back again. I think that was something that began to maybe melt his heart some. And he also was a man, as his family was, who had disdain for anyone who was black because they never grew up in a place where there were any black people. But later, in his own business, he had a black man that worked for him. It was so good and such a fine person that it changed my dad's life. And the black people would come in, and they didn't want anyone to worry on them except Mr. Brown because he had been a farmer and he knew all these things. So a lot of times these events that happen in our lives change us in some ways where we're no longer hard-hearted and all of these kind of things. So I think that's the fear, Kim, mm-hmm. that men have sometimes because we don't want to appear weak. And so constantly showing that tenderness side, that nurturing side of us too much because we don't want other guys to think, of, you know, what is this guy going to think about me? What's he going to think? One of the things that, that holds us down in life a lot of times is what others are going to think. And so sometimes we hold ourselves back because we don't want to appear to somebody And we live thinking, I've got to live this way because this is what others expect of me. And we're unable then to become the kind of person that we're meant to be. Yeah, and what you touched on was the fear of being too tender. And the thing is, in order for men to step into real leadership and then to help women step into theirs, we need you to embrace that tenderness that you have because masculine tenderness looks different than feminine tenderness. And the strength of it can be absolutely astounding. Absolutely astounding because that kind of tenderness provides a safety not just for your loved ones, but for the whole world. Because the masculine, in its disciplinary function, in its military function, in its protector function, in its warrior penetrator function, while we look so much at how to keep our country safe, you know, we're warriors and we go out there and we make sure that we let people know that we've got this protected. As long as we stay mostly in that role, as long as men sit in that role without the receptive side of themselves, there's always has to be an enemy because you're always having to protect against something. You're always having to go out to protect. So it means there has to be something to protect against. Whereas opening to the more receptive qualities that you have provides a way to say, maybe, just maybe, you're not my enemy. Maybe we're more alike than we are different. So let me risk, because it's a risk, let me risk opening myself to the unknown and inviting you in and seeing what might happen. Yes, you might get hurt. Absolutely, you might get hurt. But also, you might create peace. You might create genius, a new innovation. Who knows what might be created there, but in the same way that our sexuality works, the feminine has to open in order to receive the male seed for conception to happen and something new is born. 
So that same principle works in every single part of our lives. You can literally take sexuality and apply it to everything that we do. Everything new that's born, it's happening all the time, creation and destruction. We have to look at which one of those things is appropriate at which time. So I think for women looking to men to really step into their masculine leadership, we get it and we understand the warrior side of the masculine. What we are waiting on, not just individually, but globally, as a global culture, is for men to open to that more receptive, tender side of themselves. Because the world is going to look a whole lot different when men do that. I hope you enjoyed that discussion with my dad, Dean Brown, and that you were able to pick up on some things that will help you in your relationships, in your business, in your life, and in your leadership. If you're interested in gleaning more from Dean as a mentor and leader, I've posted a couple of video links in the show notes for this episode on NakedVibes.com. So please check those out. You know, if you've been listening to the Naked Vibes show for a while, how much I believe in the healing power of music. And so I thought I would leave you today with just a little song from the man who, along with my mother, brought music into my life, into my sister's life, and made it such an integral part of our being. This is just a little sample of the kind of things I heard regularly It's a little ditty that he learned in the army. And every now and then it would just kind of break out. Hippo, hoppo, ring out the mopo, left-o, right-o, left-o, right-o. Hippo, hoppo, ring out the mopo, left-o, (laughs) right-o. This show is sponsored by Rocket U with the online video course, Beyond Religion, How to Pray and Get Answers. You'll find a link in the show notes on NakedVibes.com for a free video on how to better understand your intuition and tune your vibe so that you can use it in a very practical way. You have the freedom to be naked and unashamed about who you truly are. Stand in the truth. Love big and you are aligned with the greatest power in the universe. I'm Kimberly Kane, and this is Naked Vibes. (laughs) 